What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Don't Come Up the Ship Podcast. This is part two of the first book report. I know it took me a minute to get back to it, but uh, guidelines for the leader and the commander. Um, if I'm being perfectly honest, I don't know that I'm going to get out of chapter one as I was reviewing everything I highlighted and the notes I wrote in the margins. I, like, There's just so much good stuff in this book that... Um, in discussing it, I, I just, I don't know if I'm going to make it out of chapter one, which is kind of ridiculous, but also, um, it's just really good. Uh, it's interesting how much of it is translatable to now. Uh, I got asked a question when I was on the test depth, uh, there on the midwatch podcast about like, did I, do I think that leadership used to be better, uh, at like an earlier time in the Navy uh, and really the military. And I brought up the, a short talk with chief petty officers article as evidence that back in the early 1900s, they seemed to have their mind wrapped around good leadership uh, and kind of what they should be expecting out of their chiefs. And as I go through this book, I just see a lot of stuff and even things that we look at and we think that uh, are new concepts that are just now being accepted, like mental can, mental health. Uh, it gets mentioned in here and I'll get to it in a second, but it's just a great book. I highly recommend checking it out. It's guidelines for the leader and the commander by general Bruce C Clark. And they just kind of started printing it again. It was hard. Apparently it was really hard to find before and uh, you can get it on Amazon now though. So check that out. Uh, I'm picking back up. Uh, we had started talking about morale generally, and there's a chart in here that says several adjuncts of uh, to morale, and it's got 18 items. I'm not going to hit every one of them. I hit most of them. Uh, so it talks good management uh, is the first one. So obviously, we just generally as we go through these, it's just going to be talking about a, a well-run organization and what you would expect out of like a high morale, well-run command. So good management. Um, want things to run smoothly where things are planned right so we don't want the plan of the day to explode every five minutes and for the ch uh, plan to change and you're getting like text messages while you're at home about all the things that like you have to do or maybe liberty expiration changed uh, i've been in those circumstances and it drives me nuts but uh it's just we just don't want to put people in the position to hurry up and wait literally says that uh, and i know you've probably heard that since you first joined the military because i know i have uh, adequate information kind of in the same vein men like to be kept informed ahead of time of things that affect them or are apt to affect them it is far better for the commander to keep his people informed than to have them seek to get such information from rumors right so uh, this one i've seen pr become particularly prevalent when the ship's about to get underway but then we get delayed because of a material condition and, and like the chain of command isn't doing a great job of keeping everyone informed like the the communications going up but it's going up from like the chief in charge of the division through the department head to the upper chain of command to then to squadron and whoever else is relevant and the junior sailors are like are we getting underway tomorrow are we not getting underway tomorrow like uh, and no one seems to have any idea what's going on and then it degenerates into uh, rumor mill stuff. We're sitting on the mess. Like, well, I heard they couldn't get the part. And I heard this other thing's really broken and we're going to be in port forever. And I heard, and it's like, it becomes difficult for people to plan their life. And it just gets really frustrating. Even if it's your life consists of going back to the barracks and playing video games, like it's just frustrating to be left in limbo and not know what's going on. So getting good information to the, to the people that need it up and down, because it's, it's not, 
it's not irrelevant to junior sailors what's going on in that in that type of regard. Like they want to know what their schedule is going to be. They want to know if they need to be a place or or do a thing or if something's coming up that uh, that they need to anticipate in some kind of a way, even if it's just to mentally prepare themselves for it. Uh, high state of training. So it's talking about just making sure that the unit is well trained. Uh, if they're not well trained, they'll know it. This fact shakes their confidence, especially if they anticipate the possibility of using that training in a critical situation. So being a submariner, this is like uh, burned into my brain forever. Like we will n- never not be training. Like it's just a thing that that is is ingrained in the culture of submarining. It's like if there's an opportunity in in the plan of the week, we're doing training. <laughs> like it's like the first answer to the question like hey we got some free time tomorrow what are we gonna do training drills whatever like we're gonna do something where we're exercising the capabilities of the ship the watch standards we're doing something for proficiency to raise level of knowledge to do an examination to check it to what have drills so we can do hands-on stuff whatever like whether it's for quals or just proficiency and to to make us better at what we do and reinforce that we are in fact good at what we do and that kind of thing so in, in the world that I have operated in for 20 years now, it's I've even on bad air quotes, bad boats. It's like the one thing that it's like if, if training suffers, it's because morale is low, not because the training isn't happening. And so by virtue of the low morale, you get low engagement, you get low effort so you're not going to have like good performance either because nobody wants to be there. Nobody wants to be doing it. So it's a thing that needs to be fixed. And that's what we're talking about here is morale. It's like they it's they are linked in that if you have a low level of training, which is what this is talking about, it's going to negatively affect morale because they're going to feel like they're not capable. But on the flip side of that, if you have low morale, but a high state of training, you're going to get low engagement and low effort and you're so you're going to get almost negative training value at that point where when you're doing drills or when you're doing anything else it's like people aren't going to be engaged you're not going to be listening they're not going to care right and then when we're in a place where it's time to apply that training are they going to be too burnt out or are they going to be not as as good at the thing as they need to be because they weren't engaged in that training when it was happening which happens a lot uh in the submarine service um Chances for advancement. This is one of the there's a, several of these that uh, routinely feed the meme sites uh, all over the Internet. Um, and the chance for advancement is one of them is like you see a lot of community pages like uh, I want to say like the master at arms one is one of them or maybe it's a Corman page or something. But like just always poking fun at how impossible it is to make like a certain pay grade in a certain rate. Right it's extremely demoralizing when you know you're good at your job and you know you have a high level of knowledge and you've studied for the exam and even when you do well in the exam and you you don't have the opportunity to advance it's been a couple times in my career where my opportunity to, to advance was effectively zero and one of those times was when i was going for second class i think it was the second exam i took or the third maybe um i cut an 80 on the exam and which is the highest score you can get on the exam. A lot of people get the 
percentile confused with your exam standard score. The highest exam score you can cut is an 80. And then that would be like 99th percentile, which is what most people see as like their, their actual score, which that's just you compared to everyone else. But you're the highest exam score you can possibly cut is an 80. And I cut an 80 on this exam and still missed it by 13 points because they were letting people start reenlist at the time. And then it got blocked up because the people that were start reenlisting weren't making first class. They were staying second classes for a long time. So it got really, really clogged up to where there wasn't much opportunity for advancement. I ended up getting capped, which is now called mapped, right? The meritorious promotion by my CO who thought it was absurd that a guy can cut a perfect exam score uh, and not advance. And so I got lucky in that regard. Um, but it's it's extremely frustrating to cut because it's like, what am I supposed to do? Go study like <laughs> I just got the highest possible exam score. Um, and then the first uh, two times. Yeah, the first two times I was up for Master Chief, it was effectively zero. Like one of them actually was zero. And then the second last year it was one, but we had two cobs. So it was just like those guys are going to promote first. So you just know that you don't have you don't, you're not even really going to get seriously looked at. So that and that applies to a lot of communities. So you want to know that there's an opportunity there, at least for advancement, which, uh, you know, the command doesn't have a ton of control over outside of the map program, which is nice because they're opening up more quotas. So there's more opportunity for uh, people that are performing at a high level to advance good physical and mental condition. Right. So this is the thing I was talking about earlier where it's not just the good physical condition piece, because especially this is written by an army general. So it's extremely important. Like it's one of the physical condition is like a primary like duty almost like you, you have to be in good physical condition to be to do what the army does effectively and to do like what the marine corps does effectively like to be a warfighter like they're carrying a whole bunch of heavy gear they're fighting they're like literally with their hands sometimes like uh digging holes and doing all i don't know like i'm butchering this i'm sure but they're doing a lot of really physically demanding things all the time it's part of their primary duty so um like prioritizing physical fitness is a, a high, high priority on their list. Um, you probably like see it up there with, with like what we do with like drilling, like on a submarine, like doing drills and training to make sure we know how to operate and fight the ship correctly. It's like the same kind of thing. Like that's what they do. It's like physical fitness is a huge part of it. And then like, they have like the army has combatives training and they have like obviously like their marksmanship stuff and and all the other things that they do to be proficient and and fight in whatever capacity they're there to do right like so like a tanker is going to do tank things and like an artilleryman is going to do artillery things they're going to do those things a lot but physical fitness has a lot to do with that because most of those jobs are physically demanding Um, but the mental condition that the fact that that was in there and that they specifically like that's one of the things he called out specifically as an important thing for morale it's like this book was written a long time ago like the original i probably said it in the first episode but i think the original was 19 the original copyright was 1963 and they're talking about mental condition which is mental health and it's obviously doesn't go into a ton of detail, but it, it it's at least recognizing the fact that you need your your uh, your people to be in a good mental headspace and be healthy in that regard to be 
effective and to have high morale, which is what we want in our units so that we are highly effective. Um, I thought that was awesome. I thought it was really cool that they mentioned that. Uh, good administration. So this is another one that generates a lot of memes and frustrations among the juniors. It's like um, when like leaves not getting approved or special request shits aren't getting routed or whatever, like the, where they're routing some kind of like an officer's package and, the, and like somebody doesn't take it seriously and there's a deadline associated with it or whatever. Um, routing that type of administration, taking it seriously, making sure it happens, even routine administration that goes back into like recognition and stuff, uh, which we'll talk about. It's like the, it was like pulling teeth on one of my boats to get like the sailor, of the quarter program to be taken seriously. It was just something that like, the crew knew it was supposed to happen, but like the chief's mess just wasn't interested. And so it's like, I had to wrangle everybody and really like jump up and down about making sure it happened and making sure the plaques got made and the awards got routed and all that stuff. It was just like, it was weird that like no one really seemed to care. And that's really frustrating. Not just for me, obviously, but the, to the sailors that are involved, it's just like, uh, I've told, I think I've told the story before where like, there was a a period of time and I forget where I was, but I think I went on leave and they had like of the year plaques that were supposed to be awarded. And I kind of like, it was like the one time I wasn't around to do it. And so I turned it over to somebody said, Hey, make sure this happens. Gave them all the instructions, told them where to go, what to do, how to do it, like templates, everything. Um, those guys didn't get their plaques until like way later. Like I ended up on shore duty before it got like, I, I realized they never got it because those guys had messaged me and said, Hey, uh, never ended up getting that plaque. Like, do you have any idea what happened to it? And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. So like I went out of my way to had a buddy of mine who's a woodworker, make me some plaques that looked like the ones we would have awarded. And then I had brass made at work and, uh, got them their plaques, but it was just like, like, come on, like, why am I the single point of failure? But that stuff is really important to them. It's like, like uh, I had to get, one of them was for the sailor of the year. And it was just like, the guy was a chief when he was talking to me, like, do you know what happened to my sailor of the year plaque? And I was just like, Oh my God. So I got it made for him. Cause it's important to him. Even, even after he made chief already, he just, it's just like a thing he wanted. Like it was, it's, it's, a, it's a really significant achievement. He wanted to like put it on his wall in his office or whatever. Uh, understandably, um, so that stuff's that stuff's big. Make sure the administrative stuff is happening. They like to know their paying accounts and individual records are correct, and that their allotments are going through on schedule is what they mentioned. They're they're important to make sure that that people aren't distracted by things outside of work, right? Like a pay issue is one of the biggest things that'll get get a sailor distracted from doing their job. Confidence in equipment. Uh, this is talking about basically like. Uh, there's always better stuff under development uh, than in the hands of troops. So, but he's talking about when you have older stuff or you have stuff that um, it's just like frustrating and you have to take time to maintain talking down our equipment as being obsolete and statements that we do not have the latest and best are detrim- detrimental to morale. So basically what he's saying is just like if we didn't have confidence in our training level, like if we didn't think we were proficient in fighting the ship, like if we didn't think we could like rely on the equipment in a pinch, right? Which think about what we do and the gravity of the situation. If we're really using the platform we're on for what it's intended for, like you don't want the equipment to fail, obviously. 
So not only do we want to have that high level of training and proficiency with that equipment so that we know how to use it, we know how to fix it, but that we are fixing it, maintaining it, doing what we need to do to make sure that all the things are are going to be effective or that we have the capacity to fix it and make sure that it gets back up and running as soon as possible um, and not constantly talking about how the boat's piece of crap. And, and that's very much a leadership thing. It's a it's a something that you can get to a place where if you're on a really old platform of some kind, like you're a really old ship or submarine and everything's breaking all the time, it's like, so you can look at it like this thing's a piece of crap and it breaks all the time. Or you can look at it like, okay, cool. Now we get the opportunity to apply our trade in, in real life. Like we get to repair this equipment. We get to make like become more expert at what we do. And then it's just like the pride of overcoming the obstacle of that equipment breaking down. Um, I've been there. I've been on old boats where stuff's breaking all the time. Uh, like our my A-gang chief on my last submarine, I don't think he slept for like three years. But he was that type of a dude where he was extremely proud of the fact that he may not sleep, but that equipment is going to be fixed and running and we're going to make sure that the submarine has everything at its disposal. And I mean, it was great. It was, it was like you knew it was going to get fixed. Like if he had to duct tape and chiclet that thing together, it was going to run the next day. Um, and that's what they're talking about here is you have confidence in the equipment or we have confidence in our ability to fix and, and then competently run that equipment. Confidence in commanders, huge, right? Uh, people expect their commanders to know their jobs, to share the hardships with them, and to take personal interest in their problems. You'll not know whether a particular officer or soldier, uh, or sailor in this instance, <laughs> has a problem until someone has heard their case. A willing ear will gain much confidence. So this is this is one of those like just be visible, be present, be involved, right? Like I I talked about uh, on the last episode, I think about. Um, like a, a CEO that was going to like get down in the bilge and clean once in a while. Like, and I mean, once in a while, like just the willingness to do it or like get involved in the stores load if you have some bandwidth. Um, but also the, the act of walking around the ship, going into a work center a day and just kind of like saying hi, talking to them, asking how's, how it's going, seeing what they're doing, maybe observing a maintenance item or uh, just hanging out and talking like nothing disarms a group of people and makes them feel more valued than someone like that taking that type of interest and just like sitting in there and having a conversation with them. I do it during inspections all the time. I just sit in the galley, everybody's nervous. And then I just like break the tension with a joke or whatever. And I sit in there just having fun, enjoying the company of submariners and being in my space that was, well, was my space being in like what it feels like home almost. Yeah. Like I spent a, a preposterous amount of time in a submarine galley. And so like getting to hang out in there around cooks, around the people that like I did that and now they're doing it. And like, there's value for them that mass chief standing in here, like coking and joking with them. But then there's value for me. Cause like I get to be around these people and, and uh, instill confidence in the higher ranks, in, in, like in our community and in what we do. And, like make them feel valued by just listening and asking questions and laughing with them and stuff like that. So that, that one's huge. Uh, mentions comfortable quarters. Um, <laughs> I, so this one in particular for me was, I wrote material condition in the margins because a lot of the submarines I go down onto, it's like one, it's a space on the ship that it's not prioritized by anybody because even though we all live in a bunk room or like some version of, it's not, it's like not really owned by anybody. 
holy, but it, it kind of is, but it kind of isn't. Um, and it's just one of those things where it's like, you really got to go out of your way to prioritize it. Uh, and it's really like a CMC or Cobb thing. And then we have like on submarines, Dective and the first lieutenant kind of own birthing materially. Um, but again, I mean, it, like on good boats, I've seen it happen where they go through and they do a great job of like clearing those those uh, discrepancies, like those material issues, because it's a quality of life issue. Um, and to the, to a point, it can be a safety issue. <laughs> like when a ship's rocking and rolling or like a submarine's taking angles and their drawers and lockers don't latch, it's like you got like missile hazards and, and people's stuff, right? Like on a submarine, there's no ship store. So like if I have a bunch of stuff that I brought with me in a, in a, they call them P drawers on SSBNs and GNs, like they have these big drawers. Um, and I had like, I don't know, like soda or energy drinks or whatever people bring it away now. And it like gets destroyed because the drawer comes out and crap flies out of it or the locker comes open and stuff flies out of it. Um, you can't replace any of that stuff underway. Like you're screwed and all that stuff's gone. So, and then just the comfort level, like the mattresses are good. The lights work just like the rat curtains actually close and there's a, actually a rat curtain present and stuff like that. Like you want to make sure that's one of the few escapes for a sailor on a ship is, is their birthing area and then their actual rack. And it's just like, you want that to be as comfortable as possible. Uh, talks about the mess talks about my thing. So the food issued to the American soldier, or in this case, sailor is the best that any army ever had. There's no excuse for other than a great mess. I don't disagree. Um, there unfortunately is this weird attitude in the Navy where it's more like a, there's a bunch of administrative crap that is put on CSs that they as requirements that isn't really necessary. Um, and I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole because I've talked about it on other episodes, but the, uh, the training level isn't where it should be also have gone down that rabbit hole. Um, but it's like the, the food quality can and should be much higher on ships and submarines and, and galleys all over the Navy unfortunate that it's not it institutional change would need to happen they would need to put money behind the training etc again i've talked about it a bunch before so i don't want to go too far down that hole but uh for the leaders that are in the positions of, of of like making the the meals happen it's like there's books go buy one like take the time to learn your your trade like and hone your craft and just go in there and do things like i that's literally what happened on my first submarine was i hadn't been to culinary school yet i went on my first shore duty but uh i had worked in a professional kitchen before and i knew a, a lot more than most of the cooks on board and that kind of shocked me but then i had the freedom on a submarine to kind of do what i wanted to make the food better as long as i wasn't wildly varying from the recipe and um and even like the the menu and everything else. And so I did that and I went and I went and spent a stupid amount of money uh, on books. Like I knew professional chef, art and science, culinary preparation are two of the big ones. Those are actually on our bibliography, uh, a bunch of other ones that I took underway and I just studied. And then I, I like apply to those things. Like the, a lot of the armed forces recipe service recipes suck. And so uh, like music, making the buttermilk biscuit recipe out of the new professional chef instead of using the crappy drop biscuit recipe that's in the AFRS is a huge improvement. And it like blew everybody's mind. They're like, these are like KFC biscuits. Like, holy crap. Like, well, how did you do this? And I'm like, I opened a book. So 
I highly encourage that. And that's, that's where I'm going to, I'm going to leave that alone before this turns into a, a CS podcast. Uh, so mail service, so this is really email more than actual mail, even though sailors do get mail and ships, just making sure that they have that. It's just, it's another one of the few morale boosts that they ever get. So making sure the email actually works, making sure like on submarines, it's always a big thing when, that like when we go to periscope depth that we're pulling email and it's like, sometimes you can, sometimes you can't, uh, very dependent on a lot of like environmental factors and, and how long we can stay and all the stuff where we have a mass out of the water. But like on surface ships, you can get, I mean, freaking, I've talked to people on Facebook messenger while they're at sea. So, ah, champagne problems, I guess, uh, medical attention, confidence in medical services of tremendous importance to any unit, especially to a combat unit. So this, I, in the margins, I was writing like dock out on the deck plates because like on submarines we have an idc uh and i know like certain smaller surface platforms have idcs and then i think a couple of junior corpsmen and uh even like an aircraft carrier you've got medical people but uh for us it was more like dock walking around making sure everybody was good and and just like it they mentioned before about uh like a soldier or sailor or, or a serviceman bringing their problem to their leader to so they could hear their case otherwise it's not going to get fixed same thing applies here is like doc being on the deck plates talking to people asking questions whatever created a comfort level where they were willing to go see him they would bring their problems to him um and, and it made it so that he he always kind of knew what was going on and then he could be very proactive about helping people out uh, and there's just a lot of confidence in knowing that you have that resource if that person is doing all those things and is visible and and making sure that you understand that you can go to them. So always big. Talks about like post exchange facilities, like 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 the exchange on base. Well, I'll leave that alone. Leave and passes. So just leaving liberty in general is huge, right? It's a currency for leaders where it's like, I, what does a sailor always want more than anything? Liberty, right? Like they would pay money for it. So it's not money. Like, I mean, they like money. Don't get me wrong. They want to be promoted and they want to make more money, but Liberty, they want to go home. Um, so it's like having an effective policy in such matters provides beneficial breaks in routine. The leave program should be planned so that each individual knows approximately when they are going on leave so they can plan for it. Right. So just having a, like a leave plan, putting that out ahead of time. I always like to put like a memorandum out, especially for like planned leave periods so that they know exactly what the dates are. They can go. They know when they can leave, when they got to get back, how many days they can take. They know ahead of time uh, that it's coming so they can plan for it. They can buy plane tickets. They can do whatever. This is really and I've experienced it when I was very junior um, where I routed leave was told I was told to my face it was approved I bought a plane ticket and then I had a cob that randomly decided because it wasn't actually approved even though I was told by a chief that it was um at the cob randomly decided to put some like I think we were doing fast cruise or something and that I had to be back that day he just decided I just I had to be back so I had to eat like over a thousand dollars on a holiday plane ticket so that I could change it so I could go home. I, I ended up having to buy a first class ticket from Hawaii to Michigan. <laughs> it was disgusting. Um, and I didn't have a refundable ticket because I didn't think I needed one. So uh, it was gross. I ate a ton of money on that ticket because my chain of command was ridiculous. Like it, it was, it should have never happened. It was complete garbage that it did. Um, and that happens a lot where sailors just, 
and they won't they don't think they can like argue or fight it or, or, or so sometimes it doesn't even get brought up like they might do that and then find out that their leave got disapproved and they already had this plane ticket and then they don't even tell anybody that they bought one and now they're in a financial hardship type situation it's just ridiculous it's such a it's such a stupid problem to have like plan leaving liberty out ahead of time let them know and then stick to that plan and if you adjust it be flexible with the fact that you're the one that created this problem for them that they had approved leave and um have to change their travel plans or whatever so um it's such an easy problem to solve by just planning ahead uh, awards and letters of commendation talked about that a little bit already just make sure you're using the recognition mechanisms you have available to you to recognize superior performance and just achievement in general no matter who it is like if it's somebody that even if it's just a coin like just going out of your way to like palm somebody a coin and say good job or get a letter a CEO's letter a flag letter a NAM whatever is is the correct mechanism making sure that you're doing that appropriately or just making sure you're administering your of the quarter and of the year programs like I talked about earlier. Those are a big deal to sailors that that it just it's a it's a very like a, a, like objective way to communicate to them that they're doing a good job. It's like objective public validation of their performance and of all that effort that they put in makes it makes it feel like it was worth it and that they're a valuable contributing member of the team because you're literally telling them that with a piece of paper and a metal or a whatever uh diversions this is talking about like off-duty activity uh i'm not a big mandatory fun guy like like command picnics and stuff like they're, they're not bad i've had fun at some don't get me wrong um i think occasionally like a holiday party and maybe like a command picnic thing once in a while like is is a good thing or even like a divisional or departmental level thing or whatever um but i'm more of like a, i don't want to hang out with work people in my free time because i spend an absurd amount of time with those people at work generally but it is like good to to build that rapport outside of work occasionally um so definitely doing those types of things but more like make sure that sailors especially the ones that are single and living in the barracks or on the ship or whatever that they're very aware of all the things that are available to them on base because there's a lot of stuff to do um mwr and and all of like the liberty centers and and all that stuff do an outstanding job of creating opportunities to go do things um you just they're not always going to go look even though they have a google machine in their hand like they can figure it out on their own but they're not always going to. So just make sure you're, you're letting them know like, Hey, when you have this Liberty time, there's a ton of spare time activities for you to do. That'll keep you occupied, doing good things, having fun, uh, being healthy, all those things. If positively affects mental health, everything makes them feel like good and, and keeps them from like staying in a dark dank like barracks room playing video games all day every day even though some of them are going to choose to do that um it's it's valuable to and that's how they meet friends and go you know all that stuff it's big and then standards um i was kind of surprised this was the last one because you know i'm a fan of standards uh but it's just talking about how overall like people want to be part of a sharp unit like they appreciate achievement of high standards in discipline dress housekeeping police 
maintenance training and athletics, which I mean, keep in mind, this is old. <laughs> the lift and morale that comes from impressive and well-executed military ceremonies is an important factor. And so when I was talking about standards in the episode I did on it forever ago, uh, clearly defined and communicated is huge, right? So just understanding that the unit's going to have standards, that we want to meet those standards, and that when a, a unit is performing well, it's going to ha- going to have high morale because people want to be a part of a winning team. They just do. Um it's going to add to their their value of themselves, like their own self-worth and, and their own like self-actualization. So just making sure that you have when you have a culture like that, when you've created that type of an environment that you're taking the time to clearly define and communicate the standards of that unit that has this great culture so that all the new incoming people can understand when they check in like hey this is what we do here this is like who we are and what we believe and then make sure that the unit is well trained on it they understand them and that they're communicating them and and kind of ma- helping to maintain that culture so that it does, you don't lose it um the next thing is they they went into a list of things that kind of evaluate when you have a good unit like how to recognize it i'm not gonna go through all of it because some of it's really obvious but a couple ones i highlighted was good housekeeping uh, it's just like cleanliness really like um, is a way to tell if you have a good unit and it's it sounds silly but it's also kind of true like when I because I go down on all these different units all the time to do these inspections and it's an it's it's one indicator but it's generally a pretty telling one like that if you go down and the boat's filthy and like paints chipped and stuff's rusty and that's going to be an indication of of the morale of the unit uh pride are the men eager to show their accomplishments do they point to their unit's history with pride uh do they have something good to sell and try to sell it (laughs) which i thought was an interesting way of communicating that but um the the one unit that i've been a part of that was the the special projects platform um pride was always very very high it was everybody was always extremely proud to say they were part of that unit and um, it's something that I've found you can definitely install in just about any unit if the leadership is is set on doing so, right? If, like if you're if you're taking the time to talk about the things that are important, like like heritage, like um, doing the things that are important, and I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. What I kind of I'll tell a story about what I kind of mean by that when I get to this chart thing, but just like building that pride and esprit de corps and, and all those things. And it through use, like you can use heritage, you can use, um, just, a, a an identity that you build, like kind of attach like an attitude to the thing and just say like, Hey, this is, this is what we do. And this is what we're about. However, you're going to do that. And, uh, like most of the good ones that I've seen, there's always some kind of, uh, like mantra or like slogan or whatever and it just kind of becomes like they just build this like team identity it's almost like a like a high school football team or like a like a college football team or something like that where they just build like this this identity that is kind of awesome you know like when they do it correctly uh you draw on heritage usually at least in the submarine force i think a lot of surf ships do too though especially when you're like the second or third uss whatever you know um and you can leverage all those things to kind of build this identity 
and like come up with some kind of slogan that like makes it, it like it makes you it sound cool. Like we'd have like a, like the cob would say something and then you the crew would respond with something else like a famous one of the submarine force. I don't think it's ever I don't think it's changed ever is the Alabama, right? The USS Alabama, uh, because they're associated with Alabama, the football team's thing is roll tide. Um, and so like somebody says go Bama and then they say roll tide like the crew all screams roll tide and it's just like it's an easy one because it's a pretty famous like slogan among college football and the state of Alabama and whatever it's just a thing people say I had a guy on one of my boats that was from Alabama and all that kid ever said was roll tide so you attach that identity to it it's a very easy way to build pride uh, in the unit and it it helps with morale and then just motivating the sailors to do the thing so another indicator so that's kind of what we're on now is that they point to and there's a bunch that i'm I'm skipping some that are just kind of not like dated is probably the best way of describing them but enlistment and re-enlistment records so just talking about retention basically like is a great indication of if the unit has high morale or not if people want to stay in the unit and in the military Court martial rates and incidents and accidents, so kind of just mishaps and, and misbehavior. Uh, and then complaints to the inspector general is the last one, so that'd be like really, really bad stuff. So just like the amount of discipline that's happening, why it's happening, are there accidents because our training's not high, right? Or because people aren't engaged or people aren't motivated because morale is low. So those are all great indicators of those things. Um, the chart I mentioned earlier, it says outside influence on morale. So it's talking about uh, just like all of the things, like factors, adjuncts, indications of morale covered so far concern things generally within control of the commander, but there are outside influences uh, on morale as well. And then so that we should be aware of those things. And the thing I highlighted was this, it says the soldiers should feel that they are needed and that their sacrifices are of immediate and long range benefit to their country their home, their family, and themselves. They should feel that the unit is as important to them as family and uh, that they are are just important to the unit. So just like a family member to the unit, right? Um, What I thought was interesting about this is like, in order to create and when we talked about it on the last episode about the they need to feel so attached to the idea and mission that they're willing to sacrifice heavily for it, right? Um, creating the type of of attachment where you feel like it's family, and and also creating the the type of devotion to the cause that is required in certain situations if we're if we're doing what we're intended to do, right? Which is you know affect war uh using the instruments that we're, we're trained to use is kind of creating a an understanding that look like this is who you are and what you do which i keep saying that it sounds so simple um but i don't think it happens enough so like we we have this um on strategic missile submarines uh we have uh, a rating called missile techs and their whole job is to maintain and uh, if necessary launch ballistic missiles that we may or may not have on those submarines um, and 
it's a pretty crazy responsibility uh, if you think about it. And so when we were talking to them uh, one day, it was the in for the Cobb. And so we were going to a brief they were doing some major evolution and you know it's dangerous it's i mean they have like crazy hydraulics and these big hatches that open and shut and um just all this stuff that could go wrong and that could hurt somebody kill somebody damage equipment you know just like just like a lot of other people do but we uh we went in there and it was just kind of like a it was a you know normal evolution brief they did a great job of of briefing what they were going to do and lessons learned and all that stuff and then it got to chain of command at the end and they're like, Hey, you guys got anything to add? And so like, um, the, ch- I think the chief and department had talked and then they pointed at me cause I'm filling in as a cop. And I was just like, it, I was looking around the room and it was a lot of like very mechanical, uh, just kind of stepping through the motions of, but there had been a lot of things that had happened recently, uh, like near that brief that, that they had kind of screwed some stuff up and had some, not, not like a ton, but like had some procedure violations, got punched in the face. So there's reasons why they might not be super motivated. So, uh, I just kind of went on this, like I kind of did what I do sometimes and like a monologue almost on like, like how awesome it is that that they're missile techs and like just talked about the awesome responsibility that they have and the the crazy thing that they're trusted with uh and how just badass it is and how like they should be really proud of the fact that uh they're doing what they're doing that they're part of that community um and that they're being trusted with this awesome responsibility to maintain these crazy uh, weapon systems and, and weapons. Uh, and that, that it's like kind of just reminding them like, like, Hey, no, what you do, even though in the moment it can seem like soul crushing and monotonous and, you know, like just obnoxious to a point, it's like, also what you're doing is crazy. It's like it, it would, if you described it on paper to a civilian, it would blow their mind that some young 23 year old e5 is being trusted with this awesome level of responsibility uh access uh like expertise just the all the crazy things that some of these people do uh even nukes like (laughs) like the the stuff that they do is wild like you're operating a nuclear reactor and you're like a young kid um it's it's easy to forget the like broad like like zoom out the broad worldview like of what you're doing it's it's easy to forget how how awesome it is and how like it's it's a privilege to be in that position doing that thing even though it doesn't always feel like it it's easy to get lost in the daily grind and the stuff just feels normal and then it feels like soul sucking sometimes because it's very difficult and a lot of times it can be very tedious and just like onerous and, and repetitive and like, why are we doing this? This is such a pain. Blah, blah. You know what I mean? You get caught up in that kind of stuff. And then there's times where like as diving off the watch, I surfaced a submarine and then, uh, you know, you, you get to do that crazy evolution and it's stressful and you can look at it like, Oh my God, this sucks. I don't want to do this. And then I, you know, I got relieved because I was a topside guy. So then I get to go change. I put on my, 
my float coat and my whatever and my sunglasses and I get to go stand topside on the missile deck as this thing plows through the Pacific Ocean uh, it like craziest view like you're out in out in the sound transiting in and it's just like like wow like this is really cool um, and you it's it's easy to forget that sometimes because it does become kind of routine uh, and it's important to take the time to remind those people of how important what they're doing is, how awesome what they're doing is and how like proud they should be of it. Um, I think it's the thing that we don't, we don't do enough and you see the good units with high morale doing it, that reminding them of how awesome they are and reminding them of how important they are to the mission and reminding them of, like their heritage and their crazy stories that they're a part of and just how insane what they're doing is like that you're accomplishing these things routinely to the the fact that somebody could think that sitting there and, and diving a submarine or surfacing a submarine could could even be routine is is crazy because like again describe it to a normal person and show them a video and they're going to slap you and tell you you're insane and that that's incredible that you did that and holy crap and and be blown away by it so it's important that that as leaders we're reminding our people of what they're doing and how crazy and awesome it is um the next section it's called junior officer conferences um what i took away from this is so we talk, we've talked in the podcast about how chiefs are responsible for training divos, but the responsibility to train officers never ends. So it's kind of just like, Hey, who trains the officers? Like who's teaching officers how to officer? Um, and so I thought it was interesting that he had included that the junior officer conferences with senior officers where it's kind of like a check-in thing where they discuss certain issues and and stuff like that to make sure that those officers are on the right track and they're getting the things that they need and that it's an op- it's a leadership opportunity for the senior officers to train and mentor and whatever. So it says the standards and responsibilities of an officer are in many respects more exciting and more difficult to discharge in peacetime than in combat. Consequently, officers conferences should be conducted for all junior officers to review the duties and responsibilities of a commissioned officer. Uh, so that was kind of the where I was going with that as far as like they they need to be touching base with somebody to make sure that that the officer who's charged with making sure the unit runs that that officer is getting the mentorship and guidance that they need to be a good officer so it just lists a bunch of stuff topics for discussion uh it talks about military courtesies proper salutes greetings with salute all kinds of stuff just good or discipline stuff uh personal standards of dress conduct ethics indebtedness gambling and use of liquor so just more good or discipline stuff uh, importance of military reports as to accuracy, time, and contents. Importance of an officer's certificate and signature. So it's more like on the administrative side and like the communication in face-to-face meetings and briefs and stuff. Just which is a big thing that a lot of times officers, are, junior officers, are intimidated by is those interactions with the senior officers and providing a brief either to those officers or to a room full of people that include those officers. Um, so that would be uh, an instance where they could have those conversations and and be trained on what to expect and and uh, what like how they should conduct themselves during those briefs and stuff. Um, military discipline. So this is more like like actual disciplinary action type stuff. So use of company punishment, duty on courts and boards, and handling of AWOL incidents and accidents. So this is again like training on how to deal with uh, 
service members that are operating outside of the confines of good order and discipline or violating policy or the UCMJ or whatever, like how you handle that. Right. And it's not always immediately go to administrative process of, you know, NJP article 15, whatever you want to call it. It, it could just be as simple as sitting down and talking to somebody. Um, or it could be as simple as, uh, like a verbal counseling where you're like, look, this was a close call and, and start conduct some training and mentorship on the, that policy or, or whatever it is, um, all the way up to this, to the significant administrative type discipline. Um, promotion of enlisted men, development of subordinates and preparation of efficiency reports. That's more NCOs, uh, in my opinion, even though the, they're definitely involved in that process and that's more of a CPO NCO training a junior officer. Um, the unit history, esprit, decor, accomplishments, missions, problems, um, activities, troop information, and morale. So just like the making sure that they understand the significance of the mission, the unit's history, uh, the pride that the, the members derive from it, et cetera. Uh, self-education of officers, professional publications, associations, beneficial reading, courses, study, preparation for one's job and promotion. So that's effectively like advancement stuff and career guidance that a chief would provide for like a junior enlisted sailor. Uh, this is the same thing. Like it's like the almost like a career counseling session because officer career paths are very different from ours. And it's a big deal that not just in order to promote, but also to do their job better, uh, that they're, uh, they understand all the resources that are available to them and they are being recommended things by people that have walked the path that they have. Um, that, hey, go look at these courses or these books or, or whatever. Uh, involve yourself in these associations or activities, et cetera. Uh, security of classified documents, prevention of loose talk and rumors. Um, it's probably bigger than you think, less the security of classified things, which is pretty straightforward and objective, but the uh, prevention of loose talk and rumors. So not just loose lip sync ships type things where we're people are <laughs> if you go if you go on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, OPSEC is not real. Uh like junior people do not understand what that means. Uh I see posts all the time where they're like, I'm getting underway today. Send me a care package or send me an email or whatever. And it's like you you can't stop like you don't tell people that your ship is like is getting underway today that's OPSEC stuff like that's you can't that's how that very bad things happen um, but also so in addition to that like not sharing information you shouldn't um, also just the rumor mill that is more the high school type cultural crap where it's just like these the immaturity of the 18 to 23 crowd probably where it's just like an episode of the real world which i don't even know if that reference is too old at this point but it's just where stuff degenerates into this ridiculous drama filled crap where you're dealing with fraternization or you're dealing with just like regular good or discipline problems because young people are going to young people so just uh, like not not spreading rumors and talking crap about each other behind your back and stuff like that. Uh, make, taking taking care to have those conversations. Um, the importance of the mess is good housekeeping and sanitation. I think we've already talked about good management, statistics, pre-planning, checking, follow up. So just administration stuff and 
like this is probably falls into like spot checks and 3M type stuff. Just being involved in those types of things to make sure all of the equipment and administrative processes and all those things are happening the way that they should. Uh, goes on to more good administration stuff and how to be a good inspector. So inspecting things, um, pre-planning those inspections uh, and in part inspection as part of the instructional and training process training so then training aids lesson plans training facilities all those things just all the resources and mechanisms and requirements and all those things uh the officer is going to be in charge of that as well making sure that all the training is happening the way it's supposed to uh putting one's house in order allotments wills insurance plan savings all that stuff before you deploy so that the service member is not worried about anything besides executing the mission, right? Those are huge distractors for a lot of people. If you get an email while you're deployed and your wife's like, ah, we don't have any money and a, and a tree just fell in the car or something like, I don't know, like something's going to happen. And if all those, all those things aren't taken care of and you're worried about what's going on at home and you have very little ability to influence what's going on at home and you feel like you have no control. And so your, your mind is, is anywhere but the mission, right? Uh, and then it mentions safety programs and stuff like that. But um, and then it talks about like a checklist for success uh, or correct or, uh, for successors, um, which I've always called a continuity binder. Um, I'm just mentioning it because I think it's important, even though it's kind of a, a dorky administrative thing. Um, it says every commander at every echelon should maintain a continuing checklist to be left for or given to the successor. Uh, the checklist should contain items of value that will assist the new commander in becoming familiar with the command and more rapidly uh, than if they had to uncover the same items over a period of time. Such items might consist of significant strengths and weaknesses of key officers and non-commissioned officers in the command, important policy matters announced by senior commanders uh, and not contained in SOP or directives, uh, names and personalities of individuals outside the command with whom it is necessary to associate or do business, areas of training weaknesses within the command, disciplinary matters that need to close uh and continuous supervision or close and continuous supervision security matters that require constant surveillance, critical equipment shortages, deficiencies, or trouble areas. So really just kind of anything that you think would be valuable to your successor. And this can be at any level, right? Like I, I did one, I had a gap when I was the SEL of the A school I was at, um, where the guy coming in to relieve me wasn't showing up until about six weeks after I left. And so I put together a really detailed continuity binder with a lot of the pretty much all the things listed, uh, anything like points, contact, emails, locations, phone numbers. I, I did pro I did like a profile thing on everybody that worked there, just like a quick synopsis of like who they are, what they're currently doing, what they have experience with, um, how they're performing, what potential I think they have. Uh, what like kind of things I thought they needed to continue to develop, blah, 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 to kind of let them know, like, this is my evaluation of these people to give them an idea of where they're at and where he needs to go with them. All those things. Uh, and he emailed me. It was just like, thank you so much for putting this together. Like I've never gotten this good of a turnover and really appreciated it, even though I wasn't even physically there to turn over with them. So uh, huge deal when you can, do that because then he doesn't have to, you know, grope in the dark trying to figure all this stuff out on his own or cobble it together through the experiences of all those staff members and ask all kinds of silly questions. He's already got it all in his hands. And I even like the routine, like just, hey, this is what we do. Like this is a normal plan of the week. These are the major events you need to be aware of. These are deadlines. Uh, we're a remote learning site. 
uh, where we had a higher headquarters that expected things. You had to be on a phone con every Friday. You had to do all this other stuff. So it was just like all those things uh, in as much excruciating detail as I could turn over to make his life as easy as possible. So those things, and you can do those at every level. Like if you're a work center supervisor as a second class, you can put together a continuity binder. It doesn't have to just be like a higher level, like a commander or, you know, like an XO or a CMC or something like that. Uh, There's value at all levels and it really should be common practice for everyone so that, again, you just continue to get better and it'll need updating. It's not always going to be perfect forever. Like you can't, it's not a fire and forget type thing, but it's definitely something that should be done for most major programs and positions and stuff on board a vessel or at a command where, you could take the time to continually update a continuity binder so that the incoming people like aren't as confused, you know, like I had don't have to go through all the growing pains that you did to put together all that information and be successful in the role that you were in. Um, vigilance. I really liked this. So uh, the operational status of a unit is is kind of what we're talking about like the operational readiness status and it you it basically is just saying you must be ready for anything you must be ready for employment at all times regardless of how well a unit has been trained the commander cannot allow it to become lax and let its guard down and then it said this is one of my one of my favorite lines in the books world war ii and the korean conflict were started by surprise attacks on sunday mornings these surprises remind us that we must be ready for anything seven days a week, 24 hours a day. We cannot relax our vigilance or engage in weekend activities that would contribute to disaster. So basically, if you're in that type of a place where um, you're kind of forward deployed or you're literally deployed in an area where you're the you're the tip of the spear, it's like, you got to be ready for anything all the time and you got to be at in like in a ready state or very close, like n- not far from it so that if something happens, you're very rapidly able to respond. And um, those two examples were pretty sobering. It's just like both of those major wars were started by surprise attacks on Sunday mornings because the assumption would be if we surprise them on a Sunday morning, they're not going to be ready. Like we're going to catch them with their pants down or asleep or whatever. And they kind of did. Um, so yeah, I really liked that perspective. Um, it's talking about administration. So the close interrelationship between training programs and sound overall management, many commanders are defeated by poor administration. So not having a plan and also not taking care of their people via all of those administrative processes that we kind of touched on earlier. So awards, evals, pay, leave, liberty, all that kind of stuff. But also like, the plan of the week or the plan of the day, not having a plan, not taking the time to robustly plan, plan as far out as you possibly can, and then adjust accordingly, communicate that plan constantly as far out as you can accurately. And then if something major changes, going way out of your way to let everybody know as far out as you can and as many times as you can, because there's going to be times where things change at the last minute. And that's the nature of what we do. But it sh- you should do everything you can to mitigate that and, and not make it feel like at any moment <laughs> I'm going to get a text message that says that something changed or that I have to come back to work or that because they planned a meeting at 1800 and didn't tell me um, coming in on a Saturday for a meeting because we couldn't plan our week appropriately or couldn't get a thing done or whatever. 
because somebody's throwing a temper tantrum because we are all so busy and distracted by all the other crap that we had planned that week that we didn't get some other thing done. So we're coming in on a Saturday right before we go on deployment. All of these things have happened to me. So it's just going way out of your way to understand that this plan is extremely important and affects everyone. And it, one of the quickest ways to kill morale is to ha- not have a plan to make everybody feel like they have no idea what's going on and that the plan could change at any minute and that at 1500, I'm going to get a work list and that I'm never going to get to go home because nobody can plan, hurry up and wait. All those things severely and negatively affect the entire morale of the ship. Like it's from the top down all the way down to the bottom. Um, It's a gigantic deal and it's something that I don't think people take seriously enough. It's a big, big deal to make sure that you have a plan, that you're communicating that plan, and that it's a good plan, that it's the type of plan that's going to maximize liberty while still accomplishing all of the critical things that we need to for the mission. Uh, because the the next very next thing, the importance of time, we're just talking about, uh, it talks about learning the proper time space factors so that you can be on time and make reasonable demands on your subordinate. Reasonable, deba- reasonable demands being kind of the key phrase there is that, look, our, our job is demanding. It's hard on purpose. We all know it's hard going in and we all know it's demanding going in. We all know there's going to be periods of time where it's extremely demanding and where we're n- not going to be able to go home. We're not going to be able to talk to our family. So in the times where we we are getting ready to go do the thing or we've just gotten back from doing the thing there should almost be no reason why you're making unreasonable demands of your people. Like why if, cause and I go back to the two groups cover submarine concept. Cause that was my most recent experience is when the submarine is on deployment with the other crew on it. And we're back in a building and in like this administrative and trading like status. Um, we are extremely uh, adept at, shooting ourselves in the foot and just like completely destroying everyone's ability to go on liberty because we find all these things we need to do like all these just onerous administrative processes and time filling whatever and we're going to do training and we're going to do trainers and we're going to do a barbecue and we're going to do all this other crap and it's like you just create all these things where it feels like you never get to go home and it's like the warship isn't even here how are we not getting to go home? And uh, there were times where the command would prioritize that, but there was also an unreasonable demand on everyone's time to train and qualify and become proficient. It's like, do all these things. And it's like, I get it. And those things are not important, but the demands need to be reasonable. Otherwise you're going to get a whole bunch of people that have all this training and no morale or motivation or engagement and it's going to be all for naught and you're going to get poor results you will i promise um anticipating problems so just trying to anticipate situations that can be avoided if the probable consequences of existing conditions are previously anticipated and negative uh incidents do not occur until the stage has been set for some time the outstanding officer knows where things are likely to go wrong and plans preventative actions so sometimes you can just see the anvil that's about to fall on your head coming. And it, a lot of that comes through experience. So uh, just taking the time to recognize those things and mitigate as much as possible. Um, personality of the commander. 
has an enormous influence on their unit. In fact, the unit may be said to be nothing but an extension of the commander's personality. It is essential that they make their presence felt by leaving their desk or uh, stateroom or whatever uh, and appear where work and training go on by talking to and knowing and influencing their people. Right. So that mentioned that earlier already once. And I think it came up in the previous episode, too, is is get out of that ivory tower and go to where the work is happening and see what's going on and just observe and talk to them and make them feel like you care about all that hard work that they're doing. Uh, it, that it goes a long, long way towards morale and inspiring the unit to follow and having them trust their commander. Um, just it's cause they, they know you don't have to do that. And so when you do it and they can tell you're doing it, from a genuine place it's like it's very it's very important and very validating to those people that oh hey the the CEO actually cares about what we're doing like that's awesome counseling of individuals uh, so mentioned this a little bit but just like taking the time to go talk to people right and and providing them resources when they need them not just for the mental health piece but also just like sometimes people just need to go talk to somebody that's not their boss about whatever they have that's going on. So taking the time to talk to those people, counseling is something that always has like a negative, uh, connotation to it. Um, it's, it's not negative unless you make it negative. So it's something that doesn't even always have to be formally documented, even though it's a good thing. Sometimes if it is, uh, it's all based on the circumstance, but counseling is something that can happen where you just are sitting, taking the time to sit down and explain a thing or seize a leadership opportunity to train a mentor. Um, anytime something either goes wrong or you see the opportunity to, like we mentioned a minute ago, prevent or anticipate a problem by explaining or, or uh, providing guidance on or mentorship on a thing. It's like, that's value added. Like you, that's our job. That's our job as leaders, regardless of the role you're in, whether you're an NCO or an officer, it's like, if you have the opportunity to do that, and, and a lot of times it can be as simple as just providing like an ear, like just sit there and listen. Um, I, I can tell you that there's been a whole bunch of times where uh, somebody thanked me for my, like my time and, and uh, attention like, Hey, thanks. Thanks for the talk. And it's like, I barely did any talking. I just sat there and listened to them and said like a couple of sentences here or there. Like, well, have you thought about this? Or like, just, you know, that kind of like leading question to kind of nudge them towards the, the conclusion that they kind of already knew what the answer was, but they just needed to like me to validate it or something. Or sometimes they just literally need to vent and that's it. Um, and somehow think that, by my being there and, and sitting there and listening that I, I did something significant where I, I didn't provide some deep wisdom or guidance or anything. I just sat there and listened and let them, let them get that out because they needed to. And there's value in just that. And that's all kind of falls into that, that counseling realm. Um, Recognition of outstanding work. Uh, so not just the awards that we mentioned earlier and, and even just the coins and stuff, but like you get a lot of mileage out of a genuine expression of gratitude for the work that people are doing. Um, whether you get the whole group together 
and just tell them what an awesome job they did. And, and I've, I've been somebody for a long time that like I have a high bar, right? So they think that I'm stingy with praise and, and I'm not, I just want to see that performance before the praise comes. Um, and I've learned that situationally I can do that ahead of time, I guess, or, or whatever, but just getting them together and being the leader that says, Hey, you guys did an awesome job today. I really appreciate all the hard work you put in. Well done. Get out of here. Have a great night. Um, it's when it comes from a leader that you respect and you care about their opinion of the work that you're doing uh, and of you as a member of that team, it's gigantic. Like you underestimate how valuable it is when you're the leader uh, to those people. It's kind of, you kind of forget, even though you're still sort of in a position where like there's people above me even now, like I'm a master chief. I have a CMC. I respect him a lot and I value his opinion of me uh, and my performance. So if he told me that I was doing a bad job, like that would, I would not be a fan of that. But when he tells me I'm doing an awesome job, it still means something to me. And I think we underestimate as leaders, how the value of just saying, Hey, great, great job. That was awesome. Um, so do that when it's when it's warranted and don't miss the opportunity to do that because it does a lot of damage just just the absence of when you had the opportunity to do it is something that can be a big problem and over a period of time of doing that you let, then you're the leader that never tells them that they did anything right and you, they start to fill in the blanks in absence of any commentary on their performance and it can get it can get definitely uh, counterproductive for sure um, and that very next line, <laughs> I didn't even know this was coming. Very, very next line that I highlighted, just as recognition can be a great morale builder, failure to recognize an outstanding performance will surely destroy morale. So there you go. Uh, the book just validated the random thought I had in my head. So yeah, definitely make sure you take advantage of, cause they, they know when they've put above and beyond type effort in and they know when they've done a good job. So make sure you're recognizing it. So the next paragraph is kind of an interesting one. It says elimination of ineffective personnel. So that makes me scratch my head. So it's talking about it is the commander's duty to contribute to raising the standards of the United States military. One approach to this goal is a continuous evaluation of their personnel, officers, NCOs, and enlisted people alike. When ineptness is revealed or continuing ineffectiveness is detected in officers or NCOs, in its command, it is the commander's duty to see the corrective measures are taken, elimination or reduction in grade as appropriate. Uh, and then I'm going to, I'm just going to go on and read the next thing that I highlighted. So few things disrupt a unit more than the presence of inefficient leaders. Um, I'll get back onto that in a second because there's a whole paragraph I highlighted, but I wrote in the margins of the elimination of ineffective personnel piece. It's kind of the inverse of that is there's no such thing as a lost cause, right? So the accountability needs to happen for whatever the action is that is affecting the unit. And like it, it, every circumstance is different. Uh, so somebody could be a demonstrated, problem child that just you like has had all this effort put into them and 
continues to misbehave and violate policy and standards and everything else and that you get into the administrative disciplinary process and eventually they just wear out their welcome. Um, there is a certain pe- part that's always going to be like a personal accountability piece where these are adults making adult decisions and they have to, to be held accountable for those decisions. Like there, there's an accountability piece on their end of it, no matter what, um, that eventually will lead to separation from the military. Uh, if you can't get to a place where you're conforming to the, the standards and policies of the organization and the unit, but also, I don't think there's a such thing as a lost cause where leaders should just completely ignore a person that is like having issues and that it's like brought to your attention that, hey, like the, 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 so the first red flag is that they're having some kind of performance issue. And so it's brought to your attention that this person is routinely late or that they aren't doing the maintenance item correctly or, or whatever, like whatever the indicator is. And so when you dig down into it and and kind of figure out what's going on, you find out that some kind of need isn't being met and that if you can address that need, maybe you can turn this thing around, right? And and I've told stories on the podcast a ton of times where I've been able to do that and completely turn a sailor around and now they're a valuable contributing member of the team. And there's a few where I kind of got to the situation too late and and that sailor was lost um, to, you know, either higher tenure or uh, administrative separation or whatever. Does it mean they're a terrible person? Of course not. And a lot of times it's just leadership didn't get involved where they should have and when they should have to meet that person's needs so that they could become a valuable contributing member of the team. Um, it is not always in our control as leaders to be, to actually be able to effectively do that. Like you might show up and for whatever reason, that service member is too far gone. They've just made up their mind that they're not going to listen to you because they were maybe burned by someone else or they just don't trust chiefs or officers or whatever. Whatever happened has gotten them to a place where it doesn't matter what you do or say, it's irrecoverable and they just want out. That's going to happen. The last case I had in this kind of vicinity was like that, where it was just like, I really, I knew it was was something that it was going to be like, a really tall order, but I thought there was still a chance. Like I knew it was slim, but I thought there was a chance that I could get this kid turned around and I was wrong. Um, and I think he, it's like, I didn't recognize it at the time. I thought there was a glimmer of hope, but I think, I mean, before I even got there, I think this, this young man had decided that he wanted out and he just needed to find a way. And he did. And part of the reason he found that that way was I told him like, not like I coached him on how to get out of the Navy or whatever. I told him like, look, you're in this place where you're on very thin ice. And if you have any other issues, like you're the, the CO is going to separate you. Um, not really understanding that that's what he wanted because he wasn't telling me that he was telling me he wanted to stay in and he wanted to do better and all this stuff. And, I think he was just blowing smoke. Anyway, long story short, it didn't work. Um, That's going to happen too. You're not going to win them all. Uh, I got a couple success stories, but you're you're going to run into situations where this it's irrecoverable. You can't 
just like you can't ignore the problem, you can't, uh, or just like you can't like just, I, I don't want to drop anvil an anvil on everyone's head and kick everybody out of the unit just for a couple of infractions. I want to drill down to, to what need isn't being met and then start addressing it and do everything I possibly can to, uh, put that trailer back on or put that sailor back on the right path. But I can't ignore the fact that a sailor that is routinely not doing what they're supposed to do affects everyone else in that unit. Right. So eventually I'm going to have to make a choice between that one person and the negative effect it's having on the morale and, uh, motivation of, of my people, right? Like it's, it's, they have to pick up that person's slack. Um, if they don't show up for duty, somebody else is on duty. If they don't show up for watch, somebody else is on watch. If they don't do a task, somebody else has to do that task. So it's like, you can only try to salvage it for so long before you start having problems elsewhere, because those, those sailors are going to start to resent the fact that their leader isn't fixing that problem. So you, it's a balancing act, right? Um, I'm, I didn't like the line where it's just talking about, like it just says elimination of ineffective personnel. I don't want to just get rid of anybody. I want to make ineffective personnel effective. I want to fix the problem. Sometimes I can't. Sometimes, no matter how hard I try, I'm going to fail. And, it, and it's, I still take accountability for that leadership failure, but also there's personal accountability that has to happen and I have to protect all those other people from that negative negativity. So eventually I am going to eliminate that ineffective person. Um, and so talking about leadership. So f again, few things disrupt a unit more than the presence of ineffective leaders. Regulations provide for the reduction of enlisted men and their separation of officers for inefficiency in actual performance of their job or as a result of misconduct. The latter is where we fail most often. We fail because we do not face up the fact that key personnel to be good leaders of young people must also have good character. Poor character will inevitably manifest itself in poor conduct. Leaders influence the actions of their subordinates. Most leaders are considered by those of lesser rank as highly qualified and competent. Therefore, when poor conduct is manifested off duty by anyone in a leadership capacity, it has a detrimental effect on the entire unit. Especially dangerous in this regard are those key personnel who are outstanding in their work for their influence is even greater on troops who observing them will often emulate their actions even to the point of delinquency. If this condition persists, it can lead to a breakdown of discipline throughout the unit in an incredibly short time. Leaders with character deficiencies, regardless of how they might appear in field training, are a luxury we cannot afford today. I couldn't agree more. Um, the like somebody in a leadership position that is low character and got to that leadership position, however they got there, uh, and that stuff will manifest itself in the daily performance of their duties, in their interactions with their people, but eventually it'll manifest itself in misconduct. And when it does, it's really hard to recover from that. Um, I talked about it during the Discord Q&A recently that just the, it's very difficult for the organization and even that, like the organization, so we're talking about like officers, like the wardroom or the chief's mess to recover from constant misconduct that you see on the cover of the Navy Times, right? But then it, within a unit, 
when there's misconduct, uh, it's it's tough to take when you have a, a person in a leadership position do that. But it's also if you if you confront it and you're transparent about it and it's not systemic, like it's not you don't have a bunch of people doing it, like a bunch of leaders doing it. Uh, it's it's recoverable. It's def- you're you're going to take a hit and there's going to be like a lowering of trust and an apprehension between juniors and seniors at that command, even though it was just one person that did it. Because like I said, like, so if a chief gets in trouble for misconduct, all the chiefs are going to become suspect for a second. Like your, your trust, the, the, the people's trust in the organization of the, of the mess just at that unit and the unit leadership in general is going to go down as a whole. It just is. Um, we're guilty by association in some way. And so you, it, you're going to have to work to get that back. And it's, it's unfair because you're not the one that did it, but it also is, it, it is what it is. You have to take ownership of that and understand that, that your, that credibility is going to take a hit, even though it wasn't you that did it. And you have to work to, to earn that back. And then the leader that replaces that person, if that's what happens, has to understand going in that they're going to have to do a little extra work to earn the trust of these people. And just understand that that's the situation they're walking into. Um, so I'm finally going to wrap up chapter one, if you can believe that. Um, so in the conclusion summary, it's uh, I'm just going to read a lot of this. It says, good leadership on the company level, which is like the unit level, can only thrive in a climate of good commandership on the battalion level and above. So it's just higher level like Isaac and above. Um what commander what commanders have the have a right to expect from commanders above or <laughs> so like what unit commanders have a right to expect from their superior commanders that their honest errors be pointed out but be underwritten at least once in the interests of developing initiative and leadership to be responsible for and be allowed to develop their own units with only the essential guidance from above <clears throat> excuse me a helpful attitude towards their problems, loyalty down as well as up, that they not be subjected to the needling of unproductive statistics competitions between like units, the best commandership, that the needs of their units be anticipated and provided for, to be kept oriented as to the missions and situation in the unit above, a well-thought-out program of training, work, and recreation, good training and work management, just balance to receive timely clear-cut and positive orders and decisions which are not constantly changed that the integrity of their tactical units be maintained in assigning essential tasks that their success be measured by the overall ability of the unit to perform its whole mission and not by the performance of one or two factors that good works by their units be recognized and rewarded in such a way as to motivate the greatest number to do well and to seek further improvement. Um, I really like this book. <laughs> this That's the end of chapter one, and that's where I'm going to wrap this one up because it's a logical point to conclude. Um, I really liked a lot of the content, but also the, the way that it concluded, there's a lot of just really, it's, it was written almost in bullet point where the first one was, is great that their honest errors be pointed out, but be underwritten at least once in the interest of developing initiative and leadership, meaning that 
they want their superior commander to tell them when they're wrong, but they also want them to kind of allow them to be wrong at least once so that they can learn from that lesson and then develop initiative uh, as a commander and, and their own leadership ability as a commander. Um, like he, he, sometimes you got to just take lumps to learn that lesson. You have to go through the experience to understand it. You can't just read it all in a book or, or receive it all in one of those mentorship sessions. So I thought that was really great. Um, a helpful attitude towards their problems is something that I wish existed in my entire military career. Um, most of the time, the immediate superior in command and above uh, anything outside of the skin of the submarine was viewed as the enemy um, and that there was nothing possibly helpful about them coming down and, and being involved and everything else. So, and then loyalty down as well as up is it translates to that as well. They like, they're, those are both linked. It's just like, it's what I've experienced is more in line with the next one, which was that they not be subjected to the needling of unproductive statistics competitions between like units where it's like, uh, well, this unit did better on their inspection than you did. What happened? Or like our spreadsheets green. Why isn't yours? Um, that's the, kind of, <laughs> that's the kind of stuff that, uh, has always been extremely frustrating to me. And I wish it was more of a helpful attitude towards our problems. And, I find myself because I'm at a, a somewhere between ISIC and TICOM level and it's when I go down to a unit or when I go to waterfront training and offer my support and a, hey, I'll come down and do training or I'm always here if you have questions, stop by the office with a bind or whatever. It's like they don't trust that my intentions are pure, you know, like they think that it's a setup or whatever because they're you just view it that way for some reason. I really hate that it that's the way that relationship is because I re I really mean what I, when I say that like, I'll come down and do whatever you need. Like I'll provide training oversight. I'll review binders ahead of time. I will, uh, I will mentor, I will do qualifications with your guy, whatever, whatever I can do to help anything I can do to help I'll go in the galley and teach them how to cook. Like, I don't care Just tell me what you need. And I'll, I'll offer that time and, and energy. And it's like, there's, it's always viewed with skepticism. And, and I've had one person in a year and a half take me up on it. And it's a guy that knows me pretty well personally. And, and it was really productive and it was great. And I hope he tells his friends and they start to trust at least me. Um, but yeah, I've always hated that. That's how that relationship exists the majority of the time, because you're missing out on a ton of help. Um, and, uh, yeah, just the whole thing, the whole book. I mean, that was one chapter and it's I've already got three hours of podcast content out of it. Damn near. So, uh, yeah, I just I highly recommend the, recommend the book guidelines for the leader and the commander. It's by General Bruce C. Clark. You can get it on Amazon. It's a pretty short book, if you can believe it. And I'm only one chapter. in, But <laughs> and I won't obviously won't cover the entire thing. There will be things that aren't applicable. But uh yeah, I just wanted to finish that one out, um, get the rest of that done. I really enjoy this book, and I'm excited to get into some other ones. Uh, if you need anything from us, hit us up. Don't go with the ship podcast at gmail.com. You can Facebook message us, don't go with the ship podcast, or you can DM us on Instagram or Reddit at DGS Podcast. Uh, hit us up. Let us know if you need anything, comments, concerns, criticisms, ideas, suggestions, whatever. Uh, always open to that. And then uh, if you would be so kind, like, share, subscribe, review on all the platforms for all the things, 
So like iTunes reviews, share the content on social media, all that stuff. It helps just get it to the people that need it and uh, satisfies the needs of all those algorithms to make sure it's, it's promoted and all that, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, we appreciate that if, if you can do that for us. Uh, and that's it. That's what I got for you today. Thank you so much for listening and don't give up the ship. <laughs> <laughs>